You're listening to a message delivered at First Family Church from the series Intentional Discipleship for Normal People. For more information and messages, visit our website at firstfamily.church. The two verses that we are unpacking for the next six weeks, we've already done it for two, uh, it's an eight-week series in these two verses. It's 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. If you have a Bible, go ahead and open your Bibles to that portion. I'll show you the verses behind me. I want you to read them with me, all right? Here are the verses we're kind of rooting ourselves in as we understand more about biblical discipleship within our own lives and within the church as a whole. Read with me, would you, these two verses. You then, my child... Be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. I want to try to show you via this rope uh, what I think the verse, uh, one metaphor for the verse, it'll be this rope. I want to show you kind of a review idea like, how this verse speaks to discipleship, and I want to use the rope also to kind of give you a preview of where we're headed today. I'll need your help with this, okay? Uh, I think this verse is obviously a discipling verse, but it's, as I said before in week one, it's given to the, to the elders and pastors of this church, uh, specifically Timothy, to raise up other elders and pastors. And so the question might be, well, does that apply to all of us? But it does, and let me show you how. Let's take this rope, for instance. Let's say this rope is the thread of discipleship in your life. This is when God lassos you. He's when he saves you, starts it. The end of the rope is, is that time when God is finished with you, he's sanctified you, and he's going to take you home. It's the end of your life, and you won't need disciple after that because you'll be with the Lord, right? So this, this is the thread of discipleship throughout your life. Along the course of your life, as you experience discipleship, there are people of impact. Everybody see that okay? And so this verse describes one of those kinds of people who could impact you, a pastor slash elder. So is there an elder or a pastor in our room here? I know there is, by the way. Mr. Edgar, come on up. Everyone's like, oh, shucks, I don't go up there, but I need you to be very helpful here. I mean, just kind of help me. Edgar, just grab a knot, would you? Put the knot kind of in front of you. And so, um, anyone you want. Yeah, great. So as... um, This verse says, this is Edgar as a pastor, elder here at First Family Church. He's a person of impact, and so along the thread of discipleship in your life, God may use him at some point to help you learn to obey Jesus. Does that make sense? It's not the only way, but it's one of the ways. There's also other people, such as someone who teaches you in Sunday school. So is there an elementary Sunday school teacher in the the building? I'm sure there is. Anyone want to just make their way to the front and help me with this illustration? Okay, great. Adam, super. Just grab a knot, would you? How about a youth leader? Is there someone who works with our teenagers? Are they in the building? I suspect they are. David, come on up. I saw your son poke you right there in the ribs. That's good. There's also, let's say there are our women's um, Bible study leaders. Is there one of our women's ministry, either Bible study leaders or a women's ministry leader that's in the room here? We want to come up. Maybe you're teaching one coming up. Okay, uh, either one of you. Okay, Chris, come on up. Great. Um. Often then there are other people in our life, such as uh, parents. I think that's the primary disciple in a child's life or in a person's life, 
till they leave home. So are there, is there a parent in the house? I'm sure there is. Lindsay, come on up. That's great. You're walking this way. You'll make a great uh, example for this. Super. I just thought you were coming to help. That's awesome. <laughs> you're going to this knot right here. You're the parent discipler. That's great. Maybe so you're loving this, aren't you? Like, that's the way to get her. <laughs> uh, there's also other folks, like sometimes God uses uh, folks we meet in our community, like maybe we move into town and there's a neighbor who's a, a, just a super solid follower of Christ and we get to know them and they help us. Is there someone who just represents a neighbor? Like, you know, I'm, I'm a neighbor in, uh, to folks around me and who would represent a neighbor? Can I just have someone come up and represent a neighbor? I'm waiting, I'm waiting. Great, Megan, thank you very much. Sometimes God uses folks in our schools even. Uh, there are godly teachers both in our public schools and our Christian schools uh, sometimes they're coaches, but is there a teacher or a coach in the room that I could just say, I'll represent one of those. Okay, right there. Carlene, come up and grab. Is there any knots left? How about a grandparent? Uh, is there a grandparent in the room that would come up and say, I'll represent someone who's a person of impact? I'm, I'm looking, I'm not, Julie and I aren't the only grandparents here I know, but uh, okay, come on up. That'd be great. It's a person of impact. And uh, there's a knot, there's one knot over here. That's great. So the rope's in front of you. Just understand that as you are being discipled, and as you are discipling, as God is taking you from the moment he saves you all the way to the end of your life as a child of his, there are people of impact who will intersect with your life and help you learn to obey Jesus. That's the definition of discipleship, learning to obey Jesus and then helping someone else do the very same thing. And so all we're seeing in this verse 2 Timothy 2, 1 and 2, is a specific knot on the rope. It's how pastors and elders obey the call to disciple. We gather other men and teach them how to be elders. Does that make sense? But there are other people along the whole thread of discipleship who do the very same thing in their way. The point is that we all have a role to play in helping other people know and follow Jesus, learn to obey him. Does that make sense, guys? We've used, it, we've used the idea of a vertebrae before and that this verse is one of the, uh, excuse me, a spine and this is one of the vertebrae on that. I'm just using the rope this morning to show you that discipleship is the biblical New Testament thread. Come follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. Go and make disciples of all nations. And along there, along this thread, there are different people of impact that, that intersect with us. And so, I don't know where God has placed you. Maybe you're a teacher, a coach, a neighbor, a parent, a grandparent, a pastor, a teacher, a youth leader, a children's worker. Wherever you're uh, placed, use it to disciple other people, okay? So that's one kind of metaphor to kind of show you the, the bigger picture that we've reviewed in the past. But how does this speak to where we are today? We're going to speak of in this next phrase. Watch this. Let's now not see these people as, as different people of impact. Let's see them as people along the path of discipleship who are encountering, I'm going to get this sign behind you, okay? Who are encountering points of obedience. So the knots now refer to points of obedience. So let's just, again, this is the thread of discipleship along your life. God saves you, and at some point you begin to grow. God will mature you, he will grow you, he will finish what he started, Philippians 1, 6 says. We have a part in that, and this is a very supernatural, almost mysterious relationship. We aren't responsible for it in some way, and yet another way, God says we're to bring our, 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 
our participation into his work in our life. And so I admit to you, we're not sure how all that works. We don't actually cause it, and yet we participate in it, okay? So you're growing along in this, and then suddenly you, you hit a knot. You know, you're growing, and so Megan here, she hits a knot. I say, what's a knot? It's a point of obedience. And what I think is that at a knot, you, you tend to linger there longer as you wrestle through, like, man, how does this flesh out of my life? Well, we may take the topic of giving. We're having a special offering today. Maybe giving for you is just a difficult thing. You've, you're just not sure how, to, how much to give and should I give. And so you wrestle through that. And so typically at knots, we linger longer. And we tend to grab them pretty tightly. Yeah, we hold on there. And, and we just kind of are wondering, how does this work? How does this flesh out? Megan's heart is towards God. She wants to obey, but it could be past circumstances. It could be some maybe some incorrect teaching she had from her past, or maybe there's a, a hurt from something, or it could be a number of reasons she's just struggling, let's say, to obey in a certain area. At this point, I believe, both practically and biblically, if she doesn't reach out for some help to some degree, if someone doesn't reach in and help her, she can get stalled there, just kind of stuck. So what has to happen, metaphorically, is you have to be willing to let go of one part of the knot with one of your hands, and ask for help. So Megan would say, you know, Lindsay, I... Megan would say, work with me here. Yeah, there we go. She'd reach out with one of her hands, let go, and she'd say, you know, I could use some help. Yeah, in this thing of giving, I just was wondering, you and Nate seem like you have some, some good understanding. Could you help me in this area? And Lindsay will let go of the rope in one hand, and she'd say, sure, I'll give you a hand. So there's this reaching out. Does that make sense? Now watch this. We've explained that discipling happens on both sides. We are being discipled. Sometimes we actually are discipling. I think that's true for all of us. So let's say Lindsay's at a knot, and she's dealing with a certain habit or, or thing, and she just, you know, I want, to, I want to obey the Lord in this, but how does that look, and how do I flesh that out, and how do I process that? She might reach back to someone here, and maybe one of her elders, and say, you know, how does this look in church life? Can you help me with this? And then Edgar will let go and help. So along the path of discipleship, you see what's happening? As we encounter points of obedience, we're always asking, is there someone that, that I can help? Or is there an area which I need help? Now watch this. In this kind of rope of discipleship, from start to finish, three things are always in play. And this is what we're going to see today laid out by the Apostle Paul. There's an audible aspect they're hearing folks talk about God's work. There's a visible aspect. They're seeing God's work done. And there's a communal aspect. It's not just them listening to one person, but it's the whole chain of, of people following God, discipleship in their life. As that occurs, we are much more likely, as David's holding on to this point of obedience, and he's wrestling through it, when he knows that what he's hearing and seeing and sensing from the community is one of, of safety and challenge and invitation and help and transparency, he's much more likely to let go of one of these knots at times and say, can I get a hand in this? Um. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> or as he perhaps sees someone struggling in, a, in an environment of community, safety, transparency, accountability, to say, hey, I, I noticed, and you know, your friends, let's say, I noticed, maybe I could help with that. And so he reaches a hand this way. He's always being discipled and discipling. This is what's true for all of us. This is the thread of discipleship that runs through the Bible. 
And it usually contains three areas, a visible component, an uh, audible component, and a communal component. And you may say, well, Todd, what about the person on the end over here? God's really grown them. They're maturing well. Their point of obedience is up here, but, you know, I mean, they're really kind of doing pretty good. What do they do? Are they just kind of like, well, I'm done, but I'm still breathing? I mean, <laughs> no, actually, this is what I think really sets discipleship apart from all other ships in the church's sea, such as fellowship, uh, friendship. I'm not against those, as I've told you in week one. But here's why discipleship necessarily includes duplication, because what Carlene would do is follow me. You guys have to help with this, okay? What this linear line needs to do is actually eventually connect back over here. So Carlene says, you know, I'm, I'm, I really want to fish for men too, and I want to keep growing. I want to help someone else keep growing. So they just kind of connect this rope. You want you guys hold that right there? Perfect. And the truth is, a linear rope is a good picture as well of how we're growing in our faith, in community. But a circular one is as well, to where the person at some point says, you know what, I'm really not done. Who do I need to connect to now to keep this process going? Does that make sense, guys? Just a couple of metaphors. If you were to press these too hard, they would probably break down. I get that. So if you're one of those very technical, specific, analytical persons, see me afterwards, okay? But in general, this rope and the knots on it represent at least two things. People of impact along our life that God brings and intersects with us who will help us learn to obey Jesus. And then the points along our life in which when we're trying to obey and we struggle, there's always someone on either side of us that we can possibly help or that we could get help from. That's really what discipleship is. Hey, guys, thanks. You can just leave the rope right there. This is what we're trying to accomplish. And thank you for your help, by the way, um, for volunteering. I appreciate it. This is what we're after in this simple series in these two verses. So let's go back to our verses, can we? And let's look at them. It says that, You then, my son, be strong, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Those were the first two weeks of this series. We saw there that there was a genetic aspect to discipleship. Remember that in week one? He called Timothy his child, his son. We said in that that there was a spiritual relationship happening, not just a natural connection. So look below the surface. What is God doing in both of your lives that would call you to obedience? And then Travis told us last week that really this verse, this verse's call to discipleship is fueled by the grace of God that is in Christ Jesus. It's not just our gifts physically or naturally, but it's the grace of God. And of course, the grace that is in Christ is objectively seen at the cross. We call this the source of discipleship. This morning, I want us to see the pattern for discipleship. What you saw in this rope metaphor, it's actually drawn right from this next phrase. Look with me. Here's the pattern for discipleship. He says in verse 2 that what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses. Now, that is a qualifying phrase just before he gets to his main command, which is actually entrust to faithful men. Do you see those four words? That's the main command of the, of the whole verse. We'll spend three weeks just on those four words beginning next week. But he gives an interesting qualifying phrase to that phrase. It's this one here. What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses. That's a qualifying phrase to his command. And it contains at least three things. I've mentioned them to you already. Let me show you them in the verse, though. 
He says there's a specific content that's heard. Do you see that? What you've heard from me. We don't know precisely what it is. We can gather from 1 Timothy. We can gather from some of the epistles that it was definitely the gospel, the core truths of Christ's life, death, and resurrection. But it was also church advice, how to treat people, um, how to operate the community of faith. Those are things that, that Paul heard, excuse me, that Timothy heard from Paul. And he heard this in the presence of many witnesses. So there is a specific uh, content that's heard in a seen context. Do you catch that? Timothy heard this around a lot of witnesses. So people were aware that Paul was instructing Timothy in these things. You combine all that, you realize that what he's talking about here is a communal culture. So I think what you have in play in the pattern here, in this qualifying phrase is this, specific content in a seen context and a communal culture. Let me give you three other words that would describe this very same thing. Audible, visible, and communal. Or to use words from our own culture that describe how we learn, you can say it like this. It's classroom instruction, specific content. It's apprenticeship type behavior or observation. That's when people around you are watching and you're watching, you're observing, you're doing and watching. And then there's this immersion aspect. When you're actually involved on a regular basis with someone who's pretty proficient in it. And it's not just an apprenticeship type observation and participation at times. It's more like, man, I am eight feet into this thing. So there's there's an audible component in which we learn. There's a visible component in which we watch and kind of participate. And then there's this immersion component. Like, man, we're just knee deep in it and it's, it's what we do. All of us are doing this. When these three things combine, listen very carefully, when these three elements combine, you have an empowering, discipling culture. In fact, let me give you a couple of verses here that I think would speak to this same thing that Paul told Timothy in this same letter, just to show you the same kind of principle. If you look back at the first chapter, here's verse 13. Paul said to Timothy, follow the pattern of the sound words that you've heard from me. There's the idea of specific content again. Now, in this one, there are some assumptions made that those who are watching and those in that faith community are there. He doesn't mention it explicitly, but he's talking here about the pattern or the template of the sound words he's heard in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Look at chapter 3, verse 14. Here's the same idea again in this letter. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you've learned it. So here are three verses echo this idea of there's an audible instructional component there's a visible component others are leaning in and watching this and when you combine those two what you have really is this communal aspect this this faith family in which all of this happens this really is the best way we learn you know that right i mean the bible lays this out for us paul lived this way jesus lived this way he called 12 men to his side And in an intriguing verse, he said in the Gospels, he called the twelve that they should be with him. Isn't that interesting? Like, I would never have said it that way. And I'm glad that it wasn't my role to do that, right? But I would have said, I'll call twelve guys and we'll do something. We'll accomplish a task. We'll set out on a mission. 
And yes, Christ's disciples did, but in his initial call, it was that they should just be with him. Isn't that interesting? He was, he was bringing them into an environment in which he would teach them and show them, but that he would also, first and foremost, just be with them. And for three years, he was. He was with them three years before he launched them on their mission. So in Christ's life, in Paul's life, we see this pattern developing in which we find three elements. There's an audible element, what you've heard. There's a visible element among many witnesses. And then you combine those two, you realize that this is really the faith family that's forming, that's gathering. That's where we're discipled among those people. Now, research tells us this, listen very carefully, that these three elements seen in Christ's life and Paul's life here spelled out in this simple phrase, this is kind of how we learn. But it takes all three to learn something really well, to learn it to its fullest. In fact, take a subject that you know really well, you'll probably discover that 10% of that happened in an audible fashion. About 20% of that happened in a visible apprenticeship type fashion. But you really begin to master it when you were immersed in it with someone who was pretty proficient in it, and that's just what you did for a long time. That's where 70% of your learning actually comes from. And you know this by practical experience. If you've ever had a medical procedure done of a pretty substantial nature, you probably didn't ask the doctor if he or she, you know, what were your grades when you were in med school? I'm just kind of curious, you know. That may have been a point of conversation, but you probably didn't ask that, did you? You probably asked something like this, how many of these have you done? (laughs) What were you asking? You were asking, How immersed have you been in what you're about to do to me? Now, let's admit, we all have to get a start somewhere, right? We'll have to learn the facts at some point. We'll have to kind of watch how it's done. But it's when we're immersed in the culture of those who are doing it that we actually, our learning just takes off. This is true for mechanics, for medicine. It's true for parenting. That's why you're a much better parent, usually second, third, fourth kid, than you are that first one. You've had time to be immersed in all the ups and downs and detours and things about parenting that you just didn't know the first one. And the first one, you thought you were awesome. Then your kid told you you were terrible, right? But two or three kids into it, you've kind of learned some things. You've been immersed in the culture. You've had a chance to watch. So here's what I'm saying to you guys, just in a very practical sense. This phrase, this singular phrase that what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses really speaks to three elements that have to be uh, within a a really biblical pattern of discipling others. These three elements are an audible element, a visible element, and a communal element. Now, when these three are present, I want to show you something. And we see this in the life of Christ and in Paul's life. When these three are present, two things are possible. I want to show you a quadrant, and I want you just to watch it and look at it. Don't let it overwhelm you. But two things are possible, and I think this is only possible when these three um, threads are in the pattern. When they're visible, these things are possible. High challenge and high invitation. And listen very carefully. I think it takes both of those to to experience a powerful discipling relationship or culture. If you look at life of Christ, he said to them, 
follow me, right? Come follow me. High invitation. Then he said, I'll make you fishers of men. High challenge. But those two things could only exist because he knew he had three years with them to teach them, to show them, and to immerse them. Now, Mike Breen is the one who kind of developed this quadrant, and I appreciate his work on uh, discipleship and bringing this to our attention. It's, it's very effective. A lot of times we want to go to one or uh, one of these, don't we? And I like how he kind of describes this. If we don't have both of these, then we end up with something less than discipleship. Like if you have high invitation but low challenge, you kind of have like a chaplaincy quadrant. He talks about a cozy culture in which everybody loves each other, but you don't get anything done. There's no real mission to what you're doing. Just everyone's real happy and lovey-dovey. And so you're close. What happens is, though, you become closed. And you have what I call the attack of the letter D. Your group is so warm and fuzzy and cozy that suddenly it's you four no more. And you've forgotten that the real mission of discipleship is to make new disciples who have yet to hear about Jesus and to teach them to obey what you're obeying. Does that make sense? And your group slowly dies because you've become way worse than close. You're now just closed. If you have low invitation but, and, and as well as low challenge, you just have a boring group. I mean, you don't really know each other and you don't get anything done either. <laughs> if you have high challenge but low invitation, you end up having somewhat of a very, I would even use the word maybe legalistic group. And this is probably where I tend to err a lot. I have to really watch this in my life to not have a strong list of things you want to get done, have a high sense of mission, but sometimes, you know, you don't want to take the time for the relationships. And so I just have to repent a good bit, ask for forgiveness, and work hard at just realizing the importance of the invitation. It really matters. Otherwise, you get kind of a really stressful, legalistic environment where they're like, man, we got a long list to do, but we don't even know who we're doing it for, and we can't even really get along. That's not effective either. What you're after is an, is an environment where there's high invitation and high challenge, and that really only occurs when those three elements are part of our discipling pattern. When there's a, an audible component that we're teaching, yes, that's important. There's also an apprenticeship-type element in which we're watching it occur, and then together we're immersed in a culture in which it's happening across the board. When those three things are present, then we can extend high invitation Mixed with high challenge. And when those are present, you know what happens? Powerful discipleship. Let me give you an example. And you'll all agree with this, but you don't even know you're doing it. It's your family. This quadrant is one of the reasons, as well as these, these verses uh, and the three elements about the pattern, all this combined, it just screams to me this, that the most natural and biblical laboratory to watch discipleship occur is actually the family. Because in your family, when you raise children, you're raising your children. First of all, you're teaching them with instruction, right? But aren't you showing them? Sure you are. You're with them. There's a community. All three of these elements are very uh, present in a family for a long period of time. But not a single parent thinks, hey, I'm doing this so that my kid will stay with me forever. None of you think that. Um, None of you should think that. You see, this is amazing to me. In physical families, we we enter the child-rearing, and I'll use this phrase, the child-discipling years with this assumption They're leaving to do this later. i got to get them ready. 
We know that separation is part of the process, don't we? But in discipling spiritual families, we act like, oh, we can never separate. I can never send you out. We've got to stay together forever. And I don't, don't hear this as harsh. I'm not trying to be this friendship ender. But I'm pretty committed, and I think I'm on pretty solid biblical ground explaining to you that at some point, it's not discipleship if it's not replication. If the person that you're discipling isn't at some point discipling someone else, then you're actually not discipling them. Discipleship necessarily includes multiplication. We get that physically, don't we? All of you are like, hey, it's almost time for you to leave. I'm pulling the bow back. I'm going to launch you. And you love that. It's hard. It's tearful. It's emotional. But it's what we do as parents. It's how we disciple. The same principle is true spiritually. An audible, visible, and communal environment. That's the pattern in which we extend high invitation. Come be with me for a while. Let's have this challenge of making fishers of men. And at some point, then that relationship, well, it may continue. I'm not saying it ends and severed in a weird way. But at some point, those two or those three or that group, they begin to look outside of themselves at who now needs what we have uh, been given. And that's what you've seen happen in your own spiritual life. At some point, someone shared the gospel with you, didn't they? They brought you to a place of obeying what Jesus commanded, which was to repent. Who around you has yet to repent that you should say to them at some point in the right way with a relationship, hey, can I help you just learn to obey Jesus? That's discipleship. And as you encounter certain knots along the road, we ask for help on either side, but we keep moving down the rope, obeying Jesus and what he's commanded us. This is the environment in which that best happens. So I think the take-home truth is pretty self-evident, isn't it? But I will give it to you in a single phrase anyway, just so you can kind of uh, take a snapshot of this or at least latch on to it. Here's really what we're gathering from this simple phrase, from these simple principles. Here's the take-home truth today. That learning to obey Jesus and helping someone else learn to obey Jesus, now watch this, is best accomplished in the dynamic mix of an audible, visible, and communal culture. Now, while that's on the screen, let me just kind of come up under the weight of that and admit to you that I break this rule more than most. Most pastors do. In fact, most of the American church, we follow the 70-20-10 principle in reverse order, don't we? Remember the principle that most research shows us that we learn best when it's 70% immersion, 20% visible and 10% audible. That's a good way to learn. What do we do in the American church? We're 70% what? Audible, yeah. <laughs> I'm not saying that audible issues aren't important, that we don't have preaching moments and teaching instruction. I'm not saying we don't at all. The Word says to preach the Word, to make sure we know sound doctrine. But I think sometimes churches, we do get a little top-heavy. We're 70, 80, 90% at times, all audible instruction. And there's not this apprenticeship type of expectation that we're going to do something with that. And sometimes we're not immersed in cultures where a lot of people are doing it. And so we wonder why we don't see greater obedience. Why aren't there more steps along the, the rope of discipleship, along the pathway where folks are moving in their obedience? Why aren't they progressing in their maturity? Maybe it's because we have like a really high audible environment and low apprenticeship environment, and low communal environment. I'm just throwing that out there to you, okay? I can preach this, 
But when I go to live it out, I find it hard too. We love to learn. Can you, can you just admit that? We, most people do, I should say. We love to read, to learn, to grasp facts. But, but true discipleship isn't just learning facts in your head. It's then obeying them in your life and then exhibiting that in community with others so that others as well begin to obey Jesus. So I'm just repeating myself. I realize that. Understand this is really the, the take-home truth of this verse. This is the principle behind this simple phrase. When Paul said, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, he was simply saying this. As you learn to obey Jesus and help other men who want to be elders learn to obey Jesus, it's best accomplished in the dynamic mix of an audible, visible, and communal culture. Let me wrap up with two illustrations that will help you apply this, and I think will give you even some ways to picture it in your own life. The Holy Spirit can use these to kind of help you think about how you can maybe apply these. I saw this happen in my life in regards to giving, even as a young boy. Because I watched my parents leave a white envelope on the kitchen counter every Saturday night. So this is before you gave on the internet. This is before you could get on the internet. Let's just clear that up, okay? But every Saturday night, at some point, I would walk to my room and I'd pass through the kitchen. And on the kitchen counter, I don't know what time it was, but there, was, there would always show up a white envelope. It was a tithe envelope. And in those days, you, most of us gave through an envelope, and an envelope had a number. It was kind of your assigned church number. And so you'd get the credit, you know, you'd write a check, and that's how it kind of worked in. It's different today for some. Um, but I remember as a, as a boy walking past the kitchen and seeing that, and for a number of months, maybe even a year or more, I would wonder, what's in that white envelope, and why does it show up on Saturday nights? Like, I don't see it on Monday night. I don't see it on Thursday night, but it's this Saturday night special, you know? I mean, here's this envelope that shows up. And it looked like the size of a dollar bill, you know, kind of a check size. I'm like, I bet there's money in there. Like, maybe they're leaving me a gift, and I've been forgetting it all these years, right? So one Saturday, I just go over there, and I just say, I'm going to see what's in here. So I, I turned it over, and I noticed my parents' name on there. I didn't open it, but I could see, oh, these are their gifts. This is their tie. This is their offering to the Lord. My mom's a real planner. She's... Um, uh, just, she's a real planner. And so that was her way of not forgetting it, of making sure that they were faithful in it. So every Saturday night at some point, they'd write their check for 10% to give to the church. They'd leave it on the counter in an envelope, and they would go to church every week, and they would give in the offering. Did my mom and dad discuss giving with me? Yes, they did. In fact, even as I was older and even in ministry, we talk about giving then. But it wasn't their instruction necessarily that taught me that being generous is the right lifestyle to have and that we should, based on the Bible's instruction, give to and through our church. That's biblical. But it wasn't just that. You know what it was? It was seeing that envelope every Saturday night, year after year, and being immersed in a culture where giving to and through your church was just the right thing to do. So when I left home, graduated, went to Augusta to kind of start my first real job outside of my home church, guess what I did? No, I didn't find a white envelope in a kitchen sink. <laughs> but I remember that first Sunday there, I had this thought, I need to give. That's what you do. 
And I wasn't doing that legalistically or out of duty. I was, that's just what you do. God's word says it. I watched my parents do it. In other words, I was taught it, I saw it, and I was immersed in it. So that's what I would do. It was duplicated in my life. So Julie and I have just tried, even here, and, and just to be generous and to give. Now, we've had to struggle with this. How does that show up in our family? Because we don't have a white envelope on the kitchen sink. We give online. We think that's a, a fantastic way to be very faithful, to be consistent. It helps the church in the long run in case we're you know, out one week. But guess what? It's hard for our kids to kind of see what's online, isn't it? The digital aspect makes it somewhat invisible. Would you agree with that? So we have to think, how do we express and show our kids generosity, same principle? How do we teach them about it? And yet, when it's not in the same method. So those are things you wrestle through as a family. I'm just saying, I learned about giving mostly by watching my parents give. There was some instruction but I was immersed in a family where that was just the normal way to obey. I'm really thankful for that, you know? I saw this play out later in regards to prayer. A man in our church, whose name was Andy, he had become a Christian. He was a dear, sweet friend. I haven't talked to him in years. He's in, a, in uh, Atlanta. But in those years when God put us together, we would meet weekly for, quote-unquote, discipleship, Right? We'd meet, study the Word, and, and he wanted to work with our teenagers as well. So I would often say, well, why don't you take Word learning and help someone else learn it? And I would kind of assign people to him. And he just became a, a really dear friend, a super youth leader. In those early months of discipling him, one day I asked him, I said, hey, do you want to pray today? He said, not on your life. I'm not praying. I don't even know how to pray. And we were at Wendy's, in fact, on uh, Highway 5 in Douglasville, Georgia. So I said, okay. So instead of teaching him how to pray... Like, well, here's three things you got to say. And, you, you know, I just said, okay, I'll tell you what, Andy, I'll just pray each time. And when you're ready to pray, just let me know. And that had to be a, a flash of Holy Spirit insight because I probably couldn't have thought of that on my own. I would have probably tried to teach him instructionally. I would have probably given him 80% audible lessons on prayer, you know. That's probably what I would have done. But instead, I just said, no, hey, no pressure. I'll just pray each time. When you're ready, let me know. I think at least six months went by. I don't remember the time exactly, but I remember... It just was every week we'd meet, and I'd pray. And then one day, we sat down, and I said, let's pray. He said, uh, can, I, can I pray today? I looked up. I was like, sure, Andy, you can pray. You know what I discovered? His prayer sounded a whole lot like mine. <laughs> I was like, did I just pray? Or, and I'm not sure that's a good thing. I don't know. All I know is it taught me a lesson. He was watching and learning within a community of faith followers. And he was kind of watching how it happened. So when he prayed, he just kind of did it like he watched and learned. Did I teach him audibly? Yes, in some ways. But most of his learning was done by watching, participating, seeing, observing, and then seeing that done in a larger setting on, on the, in the gatherings. I remember going home and thinking to myself, wow, I wonder if we could teach people how to obey in other areas just by saying, come be with me, hang out together, you watch, and when you're ready, it'll be your turn. And I can tell you this, in the next few years, as Andy discipled many young people in our youth group, he taught them how to pray the same way. He just would pray with them. So eventually, they'd learn how to pray. I think that's a great method for how we study our Bibles, how we witness. In other words, we want to give instruction how to do it, but at some point, we've got to grab somebody by the shoulder, or by the arm, and say, hey, come with me. 
let's go witness or let's go share the gospel or let's obey this. or obey. And so they watch and see it in a timed area and they learn how to follow Christ like we're following Christ. And then as that kind of becomes a competence in us in that certain area, guess what? We don't separate in a weird way, but we say, hey, let's, let's teach someone else this. And we let that multiply. That's really a high invitation, high challenge culture of discipleship. I think that would be very helpful here. I'm not saying it's not happening, but I hope you're seeing that in our small groups, it's okay to say, and I'm struggling in, in maybe in prayer. Could, could we talk about that? Maybe I could learn from you a little bit. Or I sense maybe you could use some help in this area, and that could be a weird way to say it. Maybe there's a better way to say it, but just offering someone a hand in an area and say, you want to just hang out for a bit and I'll teach you kind of how I obey that? I think as we have more of that freedom and transparency, that vulnerability and safety within our community to not only hear how to do something but watch how it's done, our obedience will increase. And isn't that the core essence of discipleship? Learning to obey Jesus and helping someone else do the very same thing. Before I close, I just got to mention these last three things. In, in realizing this, a couple of things really crystallized for me that I think freed me from maybe some false misconceptions. I should just say misconceptions. One is, knowing this pattern and what comes along with it has taught me that discipleship can be a targeted effort. In other words, you can actually target a specific area that you're wanting to deal with. Giving, prayer, Bible reading. A lot of us think it's just like this general relationship. I would tend to think, you know what? Discipleship occurs best when you target an area and say, you know, I want to help you with that. Or can you help me with this? Pick your area where it's hard to obey. Pick your knot on the rope, right? Extend a hand and ask for help and then watch God increase your obedience. And when that becomes somewhat proficient by the Holy Spirit's power, then help someone else. I think it's okay to have discipleship be very targeted that way. It also can be timed. There may be a time that I'm connecting with Josh for a specific reason in a certain area. That may conclude, and we may both become better at it by God's grace and power. Then we move on. Nothing wrong with that. I think discipleship can also be a team effort. I'm reaching out to this person. I'm reaching out to this person. They're reaching out to me. But even they would know someone who might say, you know what, Todd? Someone's helped me in this. They could really help you, and perhaps they kind of end around, so to speak, and I get to interact with another person. So I think understanding this principle, these three patterns, or these three elements in the pattern, and what they bring to the table has helped me realize that discipleship can be targeted. It's okay that it's timed, and for sure it's a team effort. Are you with me? So a lot of information today, just violating the very thing we talked about. I realize that, okay. <laughs> but I hope you're gathering and understanding something. That as we engage in discipling other people, helping them learn to obey Jesus, it's not just information. There's also apprenticeship behavior they must see. And then there's immersion in the culture and what is happening by a lot of people. As those three things combine, in the dynamic mix of that, we're best situated to make disciples of all nations. Let's pray. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more messages, visit firstfamily.church forward slash sermons or subscribe to our podcast feed. Thanks for listening.